You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Humanize Me. I am Bart Campolo, the humanist chaplain at the University of Cincinnati who used to be the humanist chaplain at the University of Southern California, who used to be like a really semi-important evangelical Christian leader, who used to be like the goalie on the Radnor High School soccer team, who used to be a lot of things. But here I am now. And, and, And as far as you're concerned, I'm your podcaster of choice, at least in this moment. And listen, I'm going to make an executive decision here. I could give you a whole rundown of why the podcast hasn't been regular and I could apologize and stuff like that. But I saw this movie a few years ago called 13 Days about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And there was this great moment at which the, the Cubans sent this terrible message that like was almost a declaration or the Russians sent this message that was a declaration of war and and and, and we were on the verge of and one of the uh, diplomats said look just just write back nicely pretend it never happened pretend you never saw that message and I've used that strategy in a number of situations where I've been like you know what there's no good way to respond to that so I'm just going to go blow past it and you know what if you are frustrated with me for being a lousy podcaster I'm just going to blow past it I, I know you're right, and I'm blowing past it. We're just going to get right into it. I got an episode. I've got, I've got an episode. I've got a conversation happening, and it's actually, it's not a conversation. It's just me in conversation with what's going on in the world right now, and I've been thinking about it for a week, and I don't know if I did the world's best job with it, but there's an idea at the center of it about what it means to be a good humanist in this moment, and I hope you like it. And if you do or if you don't, either way, I would love to hear from you. I will reference a Seinfeld episode about cleavage. I will reference uh, a New York Times editorial last week. I will reference lots of things. Um, And I hope you like it. But listen, I got to go because I got to get to the next I'm, I, we're just setting up, literally, as I'm doing this podcast, we're setting up for our, our second humanist community dinner here in Cincinnati. The first one was brilliant, wonderful. Yeah, it's just like 18 or 20 people, but it was just, the vibe was great. We're going to do it again. We're going to see what happens. I'll keep you posted. I'll give you more information next time. But for now, I'm just going to get into this conversation, and I'll see you on the other side. All right, let's go. All right, so I'm not really sure how to get into this except just to jump into this we are in an amazing moment in our society in our culture right now Um, this whole explosion of awareness of sexual harassment and sexual politics and gender relations and all that stuff that's going on it's really quite extraordinary I mean, and it's funny because, you know, for those of us who, when Donald Trump was elected president, thought, oh my gosh, we've, we've lost. I mean, nobody cares about sexual um, harassment. Nobody cares about all this stuff. Like, who would have thought, I mean, maybe smarter people than me would have thought, that actually what would happen would be there would be this incredible backlash. I mean, maybe I should have seen it coming when we were out there at the Women's March on the day after the inauguration. 
and there was this rage and this frustration, but there was also this, we got to say something, we got to do something. I mean, I just think about all the amazing signs that I saw that day where women were basically saying, you know, grab this, you jerk, or like, you're not going to mess with me, or like, we're not going to just take this nonsense. And I mean, I, I guess maybe I'm, I'm not optimistic enough or not hopeful enough about stuff like that, but I thought it was sort of, I don't know, empty words, but boy, how, you know, was I wrong? I mean, over the last few months, the emergence of a consciousness shift, like the raising of the, the change in the conversation, it's been pretty incredible. And the weird thing is, is that as excited as I, I am, it's as good as it is, there's also this sense that we all have of what do we do with this, especially men? I mean, like I, I think like any thinking man in America right now, I'm sort of wondering about myself. I mean, I think there are a lot of men right now that are looking back over their lives and sort of going like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Have I done anything? Like, like the standard has changed. Like going back and reviewing behavior, reviewing things they've said and done, looking at it through a completely different lens. And I think that's a really good thing. I think for some people, it's a really scary thing. I imagine that there are a lot of men right now that are just going like, oh, please don't let it come out, or I hope she's forgotten, or something like that. But I think, and, you know, and I worry that there'll be a backlash, that there, are, that there are men right now that are sort of going like, oh, we're making too much of this, or we need to shut this down. Um, but what I find myself thinking is, is that, in many ways, you know, as, as it's Louis C.K. and then Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer and Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes and, you know, somebody on their side, somebody on our side, like that there's this sense in which a lot of men are going like they're looking at other men and pointing at them and, and condemning them as a way of sort of saying, see, I'm a good man because I'm angry at that man. See, I, it's not me, it's him. It's not me, it's them. But as it, as it gets wider and farther, I think it's our job to sort of go like, wait a second, this isn't an isolated occurrence. This is a lot of men. This is maybe all men on some level. Not that, not, not that I'm saying that all men have harassed or have abused or, 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 or are, are out of control. But there's something that's causing all that harassment and abuse and bad behavior. And I think that thing is in all men. Um, and we're not, you know, as a society, we haven't done a very good job of dealing with it. And maybe this is a moment when we can. But only if we admit that the problem isn't like with a few bad actors that we need to stamp out and punish those people we i mean certainly we need to punish that behavior but the real question is can we look at ourselves and go like what's wrong with us i mean as a man like that's that's the quite like what's wrong with us what's wrong with me i mean it's funny because i as as, as we've been thinking about this stuff i think of myself as a safe man for women as as, as the kind of man that a lot of women feel comfortable talking to, even about this stuff that people, when they've been hurt or abused by other men, sometimes they'll come to me 
And I'm the first person that they've talked to about it. So I, I've always thought of myself as sort of above reproach. But then I was thinking like, where did I learn to be careful of women's feelings? And I remembered this experience I had in college where a friend of mine came to my dorm room and to bring me chicken soup because I was sick actually to bring me some magazines because I was sick in bed and I was feeling a little bit better by the time and she came by and we talked for a while and she was like look I gotta go I gotta go study and I was like no I've been alone for two days like don't go and she's like no no I gotta go and I said you know I'm bigger than you are I don't think you're gonna go unless I uh, unless I let you go and I want you to stick around for a while and she's like "Ah, that's very funny I gotta go and she stood up and I said just stay a little longer and I pushed her back on the bed I mean it was just my dorm room bed it wasn't anything sexual I pushed her back on the bed and I said, you're not going anywhere with a big smile on my face. And she burst into tears. And I said, I was just kidding. What's wrong? And, 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 and over the course of the next five or 10 minutes, she explained to me that that experience of just a bigger person, basically letting her know, like, I can control you. I'm just bigger than you. Flashed her back on a bunch of bad experiences in her life. And I mean, I just apologized and apologized. I went, I was so sorry. And in the conversation, I learned so much about kind of like the casual overpowering stuff that you can do that can really freak somebody out. I mean, in some ways, like it was a great learning experience for me, but I'm telling you, if that woman wanted to right now, she could... Say Bart Campolo, humanist chaplain at the University of Cincinnati. When I was in college, he held me in his room against my will, pushed me back on a bed and said, you're not going anywhere. And that would be true. That was a really important moment for me, but it was scary for her. And, and so I, I guess what I'm saying is like, I think we could spend a lot of time trying to protect ourselves and hope that stuff doesn't come out. But I think as humanists, those of us that are, our job is to elevate this conversation or, or, or to do our best to, to, to kind of, I think it, so I read this article that I thought was really, I didn't agree with all of it, but it was really helpful to me. It was in the New York Times a few days ago. A friend of mine sent it to me. It was by a guy named Stephen Marsh, a Canadian guy. And, and the title of it was The Unexamined Brutality of the Male Libido. And what Marsh sort of says is, that the conversation that we need to have is something, it's a conversation that we don't really want to have. It's about the nature of men in general, and in particular, the nature of the male libido. And, I, and he's kind of a Freudian dude. And, uh, and, he, and what he ends up saying is, is like, look, we don't like, t- as most men that he knows, and frankly, most men that I know, we don't talk very much about changing sexual norms or sexual norms at all. And we don't talk about the difference between sex before and after childbirth, like immediately after your wife or your partner has had a baby. How, how, you, how do you navigate sex in, 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 during that time? I mean, when I, my wife was pregnant after she gave birth, nobody talked to me about that. We never, I never had an open conversation with another man about that. We, we just don't talk. I mean, we joke about pornography, but nobody really talks about pornography and about why they're attracted to it, how it makes them feel, how they use it, when they use it, how the conversation goes with their partner when their partner realizes that they use it. I mean, I just read this really excellent book called uh, 
his porn, her pain. And the title is terrible. It makes it sound like it's some like Christian how-to book, but um, how to overcome your terrible pornography addiction. It's not that at all. As a matter of fact, it's a book that calls in question the idea that there even is such a thing as a pornography addiction. But more importantly, sort of says like pornography isn't the great boogeyman. But, but, but I was just thinking as I read it, whether you agreed, whether I agreed with it or not, like just this is the first book I've ever read that really honestly talked about pornography and how it works for normal people. Fantasy. Don't talk much about that. You know, I, I'm, I'm 54 years old. And, you know, I remember when I, when it dawned on me that those Viagra ads weren't for other people. And there was nobody to talk about. No, no. When I was a young guy, nobody said to me, listen, no matter how good of shape you keep yourself in, your your actual equipment is going to work differently in your 50s. And that can mess with you if you're not if you're not aware of it. And I mean, I, I went through some real self-doubt before I sort of like did the math and clicked and figured out what was going on. And then you say like, but you're an enlightened guy. How could you not? Well, nobody talks about it. And so in this case, I feel like the conversation, all this, oh, isn't he horrible? Aren't we disgusted by Matt Lauer? I am disgusted by Matt Lauer's behavior. But honestly, I'm not disgusted by Matt Lauer's desire. I mean, he, I mean, he acted with impunity. He, had, he, had, he, had, he was in a position where he could do whatever he felt like doing. And we go like, that's wrong what he did. And it is wrong. But is it wrong that he wanted to do it? That he thought about doing it? You know, I, I was a Christian, like there was this notion that somehow that when you fell in love with the right woman and you got married, that you would be incredibly sexually attracted to her and no one else. And your eyes would never stray. Like if you really loved a woman, you wouldn't be interested in other women. I mean, I had, I had people, pastors tell me that they would say like, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. Like I love my wife so much. I just, I don't know. Nobody else holds any interest to me. And I just, what a crock. I mean, sometimes in this conversation, I feel like that's what the conversation, I feel like that's what almost the conclusion that a lot of people have is you shouldn't be interested. Like if you're a man 54, you shouldn't notice the 30 year old walking down the beach. You shouldn't have a thought like that. And, and I guess and it's almost as, it just feels ridiculous to me. Of course, those thoughts are going to run through your mind. The question isn't whether or not you have inappropriate sexual desires the question is what do you do with them how do you channel them how do you like for want of a better how do you repress them maybe repress is the wrong word maybe the maybe channel is a better word because like the idea is like i you say like don't you wish those thoughts would go away don't you aren't you disgusted by that like if i could take a pill that would make me not notice every woman around me and sort of evaluate her in that way in some kind of fleeting way i wouldn't take it because if you killed my general sexual desire i don't think i'd notice my wife either and i I don't think my wife would want me to take that pill she doesn't want me not to be attracted to every woman i see she wants me not to do anything about it or to do the right thing about it so so in this article the unexamined brutality of male libido What the guy ends up saying is he says like, look, you know, 
there are a lot of people right now they're saying there's it's our culture and we need to have an egalitarian culture we need to teach men that women are equal and and to respect them as fellow human beings and the thing is if there's anything we should be learning from what's happening right now it's that it doesn't matter what your ideology is it matters what your behavior is i mean louis ck you know like did you listen to his comedy oh he he knows that women are real people and that we should treat them as real people like he he's aware that men can be pigs and that you know he knows he's an enlightened dude charlie rose an enlightened dude the problem isn't these guys sort of philosophy of women it's not that they're not good enough feminists it's that they're bad behavior is that in the absence of uh, given given power they don't know how to control themselves I mean, they believe in gender equality, but the mechanisms of human desire are really different than your ideology. And what this guy in this article sort of says is he says like, you know, people here are not willing to admit that. You know, there, there was this old trope that says, you know, it, rape, it's not about sex, it's about power, and that's true. But I think what a lot of times we, we aren't willing to admit is that sex is often about power too. That for both men and women, sort of taking control of another person or having somebody take control of you, that can be a turn on for people. Both, working both ways, both sexes working both ways. Like to, ex- exerting sexual power is, power is a part of sexuality. It's part of our nature. And so, you know, it, it's funny. Admitting that it's part of our nature, that, like that's not to just say it's so it's okay. I mean, I always think of that scene from the African Queen where where uh, Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn are on the boat and she's a educated, you know, missionary, like a very dignified woman and he's a rough and tumble boat pilot. And at one point she's chiding him for drinking and he says, ah, it's, it's human nature to want to take a drink and get drunk every now and then. And she looks at him down her nose and she says, human nature, Mr. Allnut, is what we were put on this earth to rise above. And I love that. It's what we have evolved to the place where we are able to rise above our own nature. I mean, that's in some sense what it means to be human is, is that you're aware enough of your drives that you can critique them, that you can control them, that you can elevate the ones you want to elevate and, and in a sense repress the ones that you think are bad for you or that are bad for your tribe or bad for society. And I think that that's the kind of conversation that we need to be having. How do we get better in this moment? Yeah, I have a friend whose mom used to say, listen, you can't stop a bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest there. And that was her sort of notion of, stop feeling so bad about what thoughts come into your head. Like, like, and stop trying, to, stop trying to tell somebody that. I mean, that's what I hated about Christianity. One of the things I hated about Christianity was there was this notion in Christianity that to lust after a woman in your heart was the same thing as actually having committed adultery with her. I mean, that, that, literally, there's a teaching there that's sort of like to have bad thoughts was a sin and, and, so, and, and a shameful thing. And that's why I think, like, you can't stop your thoughts. I mean, if there's anything I'm learning from this mindfulness stuff that I've been working on, it's, it's, that's, what, that's what they teach you. It's like, you are not your thoughts. Thoughts will come into your head and you need to, like, you can look at those thoughts and go like, huh, that's an interesting thought that entered into my mind. And you decide what to do with it. And sometimes you just go like, ah, oh, you can, you know, you go, you move along, thought. I'm not going to really spend a lot of time with you. That, that, 
I, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that why humanists, by being secular, that we, ha- we there's something we have to offer the rest of the world in this moment. Because I, I think there's a lot of Christian people, a lot of believers of all religions that want to be helpful and that want to that, that want to say good things and they have great sexual moralities to, to offer in terms of what you should do. But, but they can't accept that inappropriate desires are natural. And sort of go like, and that's fine. It's okay to have that thought. The question is what you do with it. The only way I know to elevate this conversation is to stop talking about how do you repress the thought from coming into your mind and that you start talking about what are the thoughts that you can put next to it. So that on the one hand you think, boy, I'd like to look down that woman's shirt or boy, I'd like to, 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 to uh, th- that natural aggression that says I'd like to touch that or I'd like to say this. And then you, there needs to be another part of us that we cultivate that says, well, wait a second, that woman's my sister in some kind of a broad tribal sense. That woman's, that woman's a human being. Like I, that woman's somebody I want to see elevated. I want to watch her flourish. Or, or what if you go like, well, what if she's, what if she's coming on to you? I mean, that might happen. Yeah, that happens. And you go like, and what if I went with that? What if I took advantage of that desire on her part? How badly would that set her up for the future? Like, I'm, I, I need to look out for her. I need to love her. I need to seek her flourishing. And in most cases, whether you're a therapist or a pastor or, you know, a fun uncle or whatever you are. In most cases, it is not to the benefit of the person, certainly a boss. It's not to the ben- that person's benefit. So the question is like, should you look out for it because you're worried about being punished because you're worried about getting caught? No, you should look out for it. You should stop it because you care about that person more than you care about indulging your own desires. I guess what I'm saying is like, I hear a lot of these conversations about like, you shouldn't desire that. And if you were an enlightened man, you wouldn't desire that. And I'm going like, I don't care what you desire. If you're a loving person, you should desire something else even more that should trump that, that should crush that, that should overwhelm that negative desire. And that's the conversation I think we need to be having with each other is men need to be saying like, look, let's, can we just acknowledge that we all have these kind of thoughts, that we all have these kind of desires at different times in different ways, maybe some more than others? Because if we acknowledge them, I think that takes some of the power out of them. If we get them out of secret, that gets some of the power out, power out of them. But then the other thing is, can we also talk about like that our job is not to destroy them. Our job is to overwhelm them with a deeper desire and a deeper understanding I mean, it's funny, I was thinking about that Seinfeld episode, the cleavage one, where George gets caught looking down his boss, he, he, he's, got, he's working with this guy, working for this guy, and the guy's daughter comes in and she leans over and he, both he and Jerry look down her shirt, but George gets caught. And later when he's talking to Jerry about it, he says, you nudged me, you look too. And, and Jerry says, yeah, you peek, but you don't stare. And, and, you know, I mean, that sounds creepy, but my brothers and sisters, that's reality. That there's nothing wrong with the urge and there is something wrong with indulging it in certain situations. So can we have a conversation about that? Where men talk to other men and say, how do you handle that? What do you do in this situation? NPR had a wonderful thing on This American Life recently where they replayed an episode about catcalling. And this woman 
started confronting the men, not in an angry way, just going to them and saying, like, when you called to me like you just did, what were you thinking? And the men bizarrely thought that the women liked it because they didn't understand that women have been taught that when men, large men, cat call you, you sort of giggle and smile and move on and don't say anything, but you don't say, like, shut up, that's jerky thing to do because they might hurt you. And I was actually talking to a buddy of mine whose niece did, in a, in a moment of feminist strength, yell at three guys who called to her and they beat the hell out of her. And so sometimes it's dangerous to confront that. So, I mean, we have to teach men. Nothing wrong with noticing that good looking work woman down the street. And maybe the three of you notice it and go like, whoa, yeah, whoa, that's easy to notice. And then one of you says, we need to not make that woman feel at risk. We need to look away. <laughs> we, 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 need, we need to smile and keep moving. We don't, you don't say anything in that situation. And then the young guy walking with you goes like, oh, that's what it means to be a good man. Is that you notice and you don't say anything. And you treat her with dignity and respect. That you love her. And I don't mean like love, like you're in love with her. You might not even know her name. You may not speak to her. That you love her in the sense of you approach the world with, with care and respect and you take responsibility for other people. That's what love is on some level. It's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's an approach. And so, and maybe, the, you know, you talk about like, well, we got to change the culture. And I, yes, I, but you know, like cultures change when people change. I mean, it's funny, like I've, I've been studying trauma and it turns out that like people that are traumatized, unless they get help, a lot of times that trauma actually the, the, the damage gets passed down literally in their DNA. It's, I, but it's also, it's not just the nature, but the nurture, the way they raise their kids. And so trauma has a generational impact. Well, maybe so does respect and care and responsibility. And that maybe some of these negative urges that we have, urges towards violence or towards domination, maybe if we change the way we behave later on, it'll change the way we feel. But for starters... Can we stop judging the way people feel and the desires that they have and just focus on what do you do with that? How do you manage it? How do we help each other manage it? I, I feel like as a man, one of the best openings to a conversation right now is simply to say, hey, have you been reading all this Franken stuff and all this Matt Lauer stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instead of talking about like, what a bunch of jerks or boy, there's a reckoning, but to go like, you know what I've been thinking is, what about me? I wonder if I've ever put anybody in a bad place. I wonder what it takes to be safe yourself. You know, you say like, well, how can a woman open the conversation? I think every woman needs to say like, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if I ever had a boy, how would you raise a boy to be a good man? What does it mean for us as a society to go like, there's something about the male libido that's very good, but very dangerous. And how do we acknowledge it and help each other figure out how to manage it? Being a humanist isn't just not believing in God, as far as I'm concerned. Being a humanist is being openly desirous of of living out your noblest values. And I think that in this moment, being a humanist means that you elevate the conversation be beyond 
who aren't all those other men bad. And you take it to, I'm trying to figure out how I can get better and how I can help other people get better. And how do we change this conversation? How do we take advantage of this moment? Um, not just to believe women and not just to punish bad behavior, but how do we take advantage of this moment to change the way all of us think about what it means to be a good man? All right. That's it. I hope this sparks something for somebody. And I, I, and I hope that I haven't made the mistake of making it seem as though I think that the male desire is just this raging beast that nobody can do anything about. But I also, I also hope I've made it clear that our culture isn't the whole problem. Our culture, like every culture, grows out of a, a physical reality. And that is that men are bigger and stronger and generally more aggressive than women. And that's a problem for all of us. And I don't mean a problem like an evil thing. I mean a problem like a math problem. It's something we got to figure out and solve over and over again for the sake of the tribe, for the sake of the species, for the sake of our loved ones, a circle of which I hope is always expanding. So that was me, reflecting, waxing eloquent, being repetitive, maybe being boring. I don't know. You should let me know. The way to do that is to go to bartcampolo.org and contact me. Because if you contact me, it comes right to me. And if in the course of all this, you're thinking like, gosh, I want to talk to you about something different. I want to invite you on a podcast or I want to, I, I'm interested in the counseling and coaching stuff. Like it's all there on the website. The website's good. If you're saying like, I want to support this podcast, then you, you can do that too. The Patreon thing, it's all there. Bartcampola.org. You should go there. You should go there. And you should come back to this podcast soon because I'm going to put up another episode soon. But for now. Yeah, I, I, go, go. And I'm, you say, what about the Ingersoll quote? Listen, I, I don't, my books are still packed. I, I, I'm, I, we still don't have a place to live yet. It's crazy. So I'm just going to give you my favorite Ingersoll quote, which is, the time to be happy is now. The place to be happy is here. And the way to be happy is by making others so. Yeah. So go make some other people happy today and see what it does for you. All right, I'll catch you next time. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.